podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Miller, lovely cushion header. But you you beauty! What a head shot! What a head! The time to Luis Garcia. Tries his luck. Hello everybody and welcome to the Champions League pod. Yes, that is the Champions League music, but no, this is not the old Andy Wales. This is me, Jay Reid. I am your new host of the Champions League pod this season, so fingers crossed it goes better than our campaign did last year. Um, Joining me today is Mr Mark Roberts. How are you, Mark? I'm very good, mate. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, getting getting by after the the travesty of the weekend derby result, but we won't dwell on that too much to begin with. We might touch on it later, but... Yeah, you know, we you win some, you lose some, you're going to get robbed in some, but that's football, I guess. It is indeed. So, as I've said, we are here for the Champions League podcast. Um, first up, the Giants from Ajax, Amsterdam. First of all, Mark, your reaction to the to the group draw, because we didn't really um, do a, a full Champions League assessment. So, our group is Ajax, Atalanta and Michelin. How's your feelings on that group? Uh, it could have been tougher, but at the same time, I think it possibly could have been a bit easier. Atlanta, they got lost 4-1 at Napoli over the weekend, but before then they'd had quite good form and they're a very attacking team. They've got good pedigree in the Champions League for the last two years. Ajax, again, they're a tough team, but I don't think they're the team they were two, three years ago when they got to the final of the Europa League and then the semi-finals of the Champions League. So... We should have enough to get through the group, but I think knowing Liverpool and their history in the Champions League, it'll probably be left to the last game again, as it normally is. Hopefully not this season, but yeah, you know, we always seem to make it a little bit difficult for ourselves, don't we? We do, a lot more than it should have been, really, in in previous years, but I still think we will get out of the group, I think. But yeah, knowing Liverpool, it won't be a, a walk in the park like it should be. Yeah, so... On, we'll start with Ajax, basically. We'll have a quick look at their, their business this summer. Um, as we know, Ajax are usually a club that sell um, a lot for profit and then invest the money wisely, keep on reducing the, the conveyor belt of talent that it is. So if we have a look at the, the lads that have left them, and we've got two in the Premier League, and Donny van der Beek left for £39 million, Hakim Ziyech left for £40 million. Um, to Chelsea and United obviously for Van der Beek and Serginio Dest left for Barcelona in a £21 million deal and then Joel Veltman um, another big name of such uh, left for Brighton uh, he only left for a million quid the centre-back and they invested that money in a right winger called Anthony from Sao Paulo 15.75 Everton's reject Davy Klassen come in from Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, no, from Wolfsburg, sorry, uh, 11 mil. Uh, lad called Mohamed Kudos. He came from Norgeland, obviously in the Norway region. Uh, they brought a replacement right back in from Utrecht and 
another Everton reject, Martin Stekellenberg in goal with a free transfer. So I'm going to guess you know as much as I do about these players and only Davy Class is the one we know of. Pretty much, yeah. About uh, other people in our channel, such as Dave and Carl's superior knowledge on the foreign players. They're not exactly household names, are they, like you said? But then I suppose in the past, some of the other players weren't household names until they'd established themselves, but they certainly don't appear to have a pedigree. And if you look back at the likes of Frankie de Jong and the Lick that left the year before and, and then the ones that have left in the summer, they certainly do, on paper, appear weaker than they were. Tadic is still there again, uh, a Southampton old boy that we know. It's quite a good player that the keeper's quite highly thought of and Daily Blender from United Days is still there. I think he's more a centre-back than left-back from what I've looked up on this year, but they're not as strong as they were a few years ago and I think we should have enough, even with our injuries, which I'm sure we'll get onto from the weekend, to, to get the job done and get a good start, I would hope. Yeah, as you say, there is a few names, household names you'd probably say, within the Ajax team. Quincy Promise stands out as one. I think they brought him in last year. Um, from PSV, if I remember rightly. Um, Tagliafico was linked with a move to the Premiership. I think it might have been Leicester or Chelsea when we were looking at him. And then they've got older names, such as Lucina Traore, centre-forward, who's been round the block. Clash Jan Huntelaar, been round the block. And David Neres, who I'm surprised is still there, a right-winger. I think we've been linked with him in the past. He's an exciting young talent. I think he's a Brazilian. He's only 22. Um, so he's not really moved on like the others have done. So, you know, there's there's threats there. And in Eric Ten Hag, they've got a what you'd say a reputable manager who's who's got a good CV and a, a solid reputation. Yeah, as you said, there's still definitely some what you would call household names there that us mere mortals that don't study the foreign leagues as much as some of us know and recognise and can see that they're good players. And without meaning to sound disrespect are probably better than Ajax and I only mean that really in that the league doesn't get the the viewership if you like of a La Liga or a Serie A or the Bundesliga or the Premier League so in terms of money and what they can afford to pay wages wise and and things like that there is probably two or three more players there that will get pinched again in the summer your likes of Tadic maybe David Neres, Taglifico the, the left back and the goalkeeper definitely are more established names across the European circuit, if you like, and it wouldn't surprise you if they carried on as they have been doing and selling and looking to reinvest that money in some, unearth a few more gems and bring a few more through their youth academy. But that's the way they have to run their club, isn't it? There's, there's not the money in the in the Dutch league that there is in other leagues across Europe. So anybody that, that sort of stands out from there is going to get pinched and taken away. And, and that's the way of the land, unfortunately, in in European football, but they've coped like that. They more often than not they're top one or top two in the Dutch league, and and that's their sort of standing. It's almost it's not the competitiveness of the Scottish league, if you like. But again, in terms of what finance is available there, and any player that comes in that looks better than half decent is going to be plucked away by one of the big boys, like the young went to Barcelona, the Lecce Juventus, or Man United bought. Donny van der Beek, so if anybody does stand out, they'll just get pinched away from them. Yeah, of course. I mean, as you say, it's the, it's always the, there's always a bigger dog in the yard, even we've suffered from that in the past. But, um, 
what would you say is their danger men as such? I mean, if we have a look at how they line up, it, it sort of looks like a four. It says a four three three on paper, but it's more sort of a four two three one. Um, so if we go off the the lineup which they're currently playing today, um, as we record this, um, they're playing. I think they're two 0 up. Well, last time we both checked, it was Dusan Tadic had scored both goals. Uh, sorry, it's three now. Um, Mohamed Kudus, one of the new lads, has got the third. So as they've lined up, uh, Onana in goal. Maz Rawi, I apologise if I'm murdering any names here at the back. Pershaw, Daily Blender, centre half, Tagli Fico at left back. Davy Klassen and Ryan Gravenberch in midfield as you're holding two. Neres on the right wing, Tadic on the left wing, Mohamed Kudus playing behind Lassina Traore, which from what I remember, I think he was around about six foot six. Um I think we he, he's played against us maybe for one of the Russian teams in previous years. So the three 0 up at home to Heron Veen, you'd probably say that's a game over and done with for them. Um, who would you probably say out of those names? I think it probably Neres and Tadic. Yeah, again, <clears throat> sorry, with the, the limited knowledge I have of their team, Tadic is certainly one that we're more familiar with from his Southampton days. And again, it seems to be an area that Aston Villa in particular had a lot of success in and other teams have targeted sort of that that right channel of ours between what's predominantly been Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez, depending if Gomez and Matip will swap sides for this. And he is a good, skillful, tricky player and I think he will sort of look to attack us down that area and I would imagine that's where they will see is the weakness. But now without Virgil as well, maybe there'll be that bit of uncertainty because Virgil always plays Virgil's, but even in the League Cup this year Virgil was playing so that left-hand side has been Van Dijk and Robertson pretty much every single game so whoever comes in whether it's Gomez or Matip or what side that they play there won't be that relationship there won't be that understanding so much as their two danger men if you like appear to be their wide forwards be it in the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3 Neres and Tadic, I think that's where they'll look to get the ball to. They'll have try and get them on the ball as much as possible and look for those bits of uncertainty in between the full-back and centre-back of ours. And especially if we carry on with the, the high line and Robertson and Trent trying to bomb on as, as they normally do, I can't really see Klopp reining it in even without Virgil. I think that's the way we play. That's brought us success over the last few years. So we'll carry on playing that. But I think that might play into their hands a little bit and possibly leave us a bit vulnerable in those areas. Yeah, and as I say, they've got Traore, a big lad, and I think it's probably a well-known feature or fact that we do seem to struggle with the high ball. I think yesterday highlighted that. I think I probably speak on behalf of many Liverpool fans that when Everton got a set-piece or when the, when they swung a ball into the box, it was almost like four or five years ago where you were just nervous that every sort of moment that was swung in, you feared that we were going to concede. You did, and even after the game yesterday, Klopp came out and said that was, much as it was a fair amount of time in the game-wise after Virgil went off, that was their sort of first set-piece, their first corner since he went off, and we did seem a little bit lost as to who was picking who up and whose responsibility it was, who was where, and much as now there's this time in between the game, with it being an away game, it's how much time is he going to have to work with them on the 
training pitch, if you like, to get to get these things sorted out before the game on. Is it Wednesday we play? Yeah. Um, guys just chipped in. It's a Lucina Traore, a young version. I, I ah. apologize. I, apologize. Um, I had him down as the uh, the guy who was the the reject yeah, was of, it, of others. Was it but... Zenit or something like that? He's playing yeah, against so, in the Europa well, League. It's a different it. Traore. Yeah. Uh, goes by the same name, but he goes by the same features. He's one metre eighty three, so in old money that's a pretty big size. It is, um, yeah. He's nineteen years of age from Burkina Faso. Um and just as pictured on transfer market, he's got one hell of a head and a neck on him. So <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he could be a handful anyway. So uh, first of all, that's my first cock up on this pod uh, so we'll apologize for that. Um but you know, we we live and learn. Um so just getting back to probably our fragilities that we have spoke of, it is sort of looking like balls from wide and set pieces, as you say. We're, we're going to be missing Van Dijk. We don't know how long that's going to be for. I'm sure by the time this pod's released, we, we might have a bit more information and I'm sure the medium social media meltdown will begin. Um, so just touching a little bit on what do you think we will do at the back do you think it'll be Gomez and Matip, or do you think he might just be tempted to drop Fabinho in there? I think he's got to sort of go with Gomez and Matip, really, and just hope and pray that neither of them pick up a an injury or suspension. It's as we haven't had the official diagnosis or confirmation on Virgil yet, but I think we're all predicting at least four or five months, if not more. So they're going to need to build up an understanding. They barely played together. I'm sure somebody will know how many times they have started or played together, but it hasn't been many. Because Virgil, I don't think he's missed a league game since he came in, and he's in the Champions League. And even this year, he was playing the League Cup games, the Carabao Cup games with with Reese Williams, who you would imagine is the sort of next cab on the rank, if you like. But then with Fabinho's flexibility and the strength of the bench yesterday and the, the players that weren't even on the bench, the likes of Shaq, Origi, Ox it's going to be difficult to allocate a space like that to an unproven kid. So I think Fabinho is going to be the next in line to play. But I think for now, he's he's got to go with Matip and Gomez for as, as many games as you can to build up that understanding between the two of them. Yeah, as you do, well, as you rightly say, you're touching that there is, there's places available in our squad, but then there's also players missing out. As you've said, the, the lad's dead and obviously Naby didn't feature yesterday because of we presume maybe an illness related to the coronavirus that he tested positive for. Maybe it was something else we don't know. Uh, that's pure speculation. So, with everyone being fit in midfield, it does maybe free up the option that we could drop Fabinho in there if needs be in, in occasional games. Obviously, he filled in against Chelsea and I think he was excellent there and probably arguably the best centre-half on the pitch when next to Van Dijk. So, I think if, if we can keep mainly the bulk of our midfield fitted, it's not as big a crisis as maybe it might seem. It's not ideal, but we've no, got a couple of lads there who can go in. There was, just to cut you up there, so there was a point yesterday where Robertson had quite a nasty knock and it was looking like he might have to come off. Thankfully, he seemed OK, but they, they mentioned on the BT commentary that Simicas wasn't on the bench. That's another one. So there's probably five, six players there that are a first-team squad players that weren't even on the bench through availability, fitness or just not enough numbers on the bench. Now there's only seven, not nine. So 
he tends to go like that Klopp and just thinks that Milner can solve that problem and Milner can fill in a fill back or even when Aldum's played centre back for us before now. So I can't imagine he's going to just sacrifice any more of his first team is to bring in a Reese Williams or a Billy Cometo to be on the bench. You just can't see it. You would imagine that it will be Gomez and Matip that start and Fabinho, whether he starts or not, will be the option on the bench that can play the multitude of roles. That tends to be what Klopp likes to go for rather than having a specialist in there. So I think he's going to have to go with that and just hope and pray that Gomez and Matip stay fit and no suspensions. Hopefully we've got enough Swiss Army knives in the back pocket to <laughs> to move players about. Um, so we'll just get on to our lineups in a second. I'll just touch on Ajax at the moment. Um, as I say, they were three 0 up. They're currently top of the Eredivisie. Played five, won four, lost one. So they're um, on twelve points, joined top with Vitesse Arnhem, which is basically as we expected in the Dutch league as standard. Um, we touched on their lineups. We don't really know too much about Ajax um, because obviously the type of situation we're in with coronavirus teams have had a late start to the season um, but as I say they saw us line up with a 4-2-3-1 the lads they've got on the bench today I would say maybe only Anthony the Brazilian winger could come in maybe for David Neres he, off- he offers to play from the right he scored two this season for them or Quincy Promise might come in and play maybe in the number 10 or in a wide position but I think what we see on paper now is probably what we will get. So we're four, two, three, one from them. How do you think we'll line up this week going into the game, given the injuries we may have uh, long term, and obviously who we might have available, and what sort of formation Klopp will go with, given our off fragilities, probably you could say in, in a way, uh, games in European competition. I think we've. Two years, I think we've only won once away from home, um, maybe twice last season. Um, but we have struggled to get results on the road. So how do you, how do you see Klopp lining up first of all in formation, and then we'll probably slip into a lineup. Uh, I think it'll be the four-three-three that we tend to play most games. I can't really see many surprises, to be honest. I think it will be Adrian continuing goal as unfortunately he has to due to Allison's injury. I think Trent and Robertson will carry on as the full-backs, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Simicas on the bench for this one. Like, he didn't make it on the bench for the weekend. It's Gomez and Matip at the back. I think the midfield three, again, we don't know the diagnosis on Thiago, but I can't see he's going to be fit to start, certainly, and I probably wouldn't want him to if he's coming off a knock anyway. So you would think the old-fashioned Fabino, Henderson and Wijnaldum would be the go-to there, and... Possibly Yotta to come in for Firmino. I know that was the sub he made yesterday. I personally think Bobby had quite a good game yesterday. Not quite back to the level we hope and expect him to be at, but certainly better than he did against Villa. And first, first game in the Champions League, it's an away game. You're going to want to try and set a marker and get certainly three points on the board, but you're definitely not a game you want to be losing. So I think certainly Mo and Mane will be on the wide flank. So I think there's only really one or two places up for question. Really, you can't really see him doing much else. The only possibility, really, I suppose, would be depending on Naby's fitness and availability or Milner and maybe keeping Fabinho out to to keep him if we need him for a centre-back. But I can't really see it. I think think that that was his go-to midfield most of last season. 
certainly for the big games, it tended to be Fabinho, Henderson and Wijnaldum. So I think with Thiago being out, question marks over Cater, I think it's, it's going to be that, really. I'd be surprised if it was anything but that. Yeah, as you say, we've got to also keep an eye on if there is something popped up for Bravo. Um, but we've got, as you say, we've got Simicast there or hopefully not be, he reverts to type and puts Milner in. But it, it is probably, as you say, a couple of places at most that are up for grabs. I, as you said, I think Bobby did have a better game um, than what he has been playing. He, he was, as many was, he was clearly on something different than everyone else when we played Villa. But he looked back to his usual self yesterday and the midfield balance looked more balanced than what it has done. Um, I, I, I'm i not too sure if, if he will this Fabinho. Maybe just because he, he needs to just keep him fresh as, as you've said, for a potential centre-back spot. So I would not be surprised if he went for Henderson, Ginny and Milner in midfield and just went for the... I know it doesn't work, but it's Klopp and he's, he's done it many a time. And it, it is a yeah, safety, think... safety net, isn't it? Yeah, even with with the injuries we've got, say Ox is still out, Thiago's looking like he's going to be out and you're not sure, Naby, there is still plenty of depth in midfield. There's Curtis Jones as well that neither of us have spoken about. I don't think he'd get the start, but he certainly would be on the bench and ready to come in. I think Henderson missing a couple of games beforehand. Well, he'll want to build his minutes up and build his load up. Ginny, I know he played a lot for the Netherlands, but he didn't really play yesterday at all. I think he had, what, two, three minutes? So I'd say yeah. so he, he was a nailed on. So I think Henderson and Wijnaldum are nailed on. It's just that third spot. What does he do? Does he... Does he Nabby potentially, if Nabby's not fit and put Henderson in the six? Henderson was playing better as the six last year when Fabinho was out. So there are options there. It's just the games are coming thick and fast, aren't they? After that, that's the problem. It's it's keeping people's fitness up, but not burning them out. It's, it's a relentless season. There's going to have to be rotation. It's just when is the right time to do it, but you just don't want to drop any unnecessary points in the league and the Champions League, it's you can probably get away with losing one, maybe two games, but you certainly don't want to be falling behind with Ajax and Atalanta. It's it's not a walk in the park, so it's not a given by any means this game. Is there an argument to maybe go toe-to-toe and go 4-2-3-1 and bring in Minamino or even Shaq? There's the, I would say if he was going to do that, it would be more likely Minamino. And Shaq, yeah, and yeah. I know sort of Dave Henrik spoke about this as well, that if, if Werner was to come in, he would have seen Werner going from the left and Marnie through the middle instead of Bobby. And it was, I suppose, good to see that yesterday when Jota came on, that he went out to the left. It seems to be his stronger position. And Marnie got a run through the middle. It's Mo can always play through the middle as well, and Marnie could be on the right. There are options there. So even if he picks an 11, it's not necessarily a given as to... So what the formation's going to be. I'd, I'd be surprised if Shaq was even on the bench, to be honest. But at the same time, he played well in the League Cup when he got a game. It's a regear where he wasn't even on the bench yesterday. There are still options there. I just think he's Klopp tends to have his favourites and at this stage of the campaign where, I mean, we lost to Villa and then a draw yesterday. He'll want to get a win on the board. It's... We don't want this to sort of carry on and go to three, four games without a win. He'll, he'll want to get a win and, and a win away in the Champions League. As you say, we've struggled over the years 
apart from winning at Bayern Munich, we seem to have struggled to get anything on the road. We've lost yeah. to some some pretty poor teams. Napoli have always been our hoodoo team, but was it? I don't. I can't even remember what they're called now. The team we lost to Red Star not, Belgrade. Yeah, that's the one, Red Star Belgrade, not Salzburg. The other ones, again, it's, they were poor when we battered them at Anfield, but then went away there and lost. So our away form in Europe hasn't been good. That'll be something Klopp will be desperate to turn around. And it's just you just want to put the group to bed as soon as you can, really. And then, as you say, with the games coming thick and fast, if you can qualify after four or five games and have a dead rubber at the end, it just makes everything better, doesn't it? We're, we're out the League Cup now. So then if you can get a Champions League game to give the likes of Minamino, Origi, Shaq, Jones a game where there's nothing sort of on it, we've qualified and are through, that will be beneficial to the squad moving forward. So I think for this one, go as strong as possible, try and get the win, try and get the group put to bed and and then you can look at giving the, the fringe players their minutes. Yeah, touching on our group, as you said earlier on, we've got Atalanta and Mitchelland in our group and they play each other obviously on Wednesday. But it's in... Michelin, so I would say it's a bit of an unknown quantity as a as to what they're going to produce, and we've all sort of got a little idea of what Atalanta produced last season. Um, but that one, you, you don't know what's going to quite come out of that because I think Atalanta are a pretty strong at home, but they're, they're an attacking team. They like to to leave gaps at the back as well. They seem to have a lot of goals in their game. So, I mean, if something goes our way there and a potential draw. If we get three points on the board, it already sticks your neck out ahead of the other lads. And Ajax, on paper, are probably our nearest competitors. But we, we should be getting through this group. But if we can stick three points on the board, it does set a tone and set a marker down for the rest of the campaign, really. It does, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't profess to know an awful lot about Midgieland other than I've just looked now and they've got past Slavia Prague in the qualifying to qualify for the Champions League. Well, they're never going to be a contender for the Champions League. But again, they're a team with European pedigree that are normally in the group stages of the Champions League. So to get past them is no mean feat. And just looking at Atalanta's results in Serie A this season, they lost 4-1 at Napoli yesterday. Before the international break, they won 5-2. Then they won 4-1 at Lazio. They won 4-2 at Torino. So yeah, there has certainly been goals for and against in all their games this year. And again, my, my knowledge isn't the best. I don't really know their ins and outs over the summer, but they were very unlucky to lose to PSG in the the quarterfinal. It was a one-off game, wasn't it? But the quarterfinal to PSG last year, they were very unlucky to lose and go out there. So it's there's three good teams. Well, there's us, who I think we're a very good team, and two good teams there. So... Punks are going to be hard to come by. I don't there'll be any gimmies, really. Maybe Midgieland at home. But again, even them away, as you say, when we, we've lost to Red Star Belgrade away and our away form isn't good. So if you can get three points in the first away game and then win your home games, you're there, you're through, you've qualified. So it's 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 tough to get through, isn't it? It's There aren't easy games. And a, a shock result, like you say, Midgieland, if they get something from Atalanta, Away is that good for us? Probably because Atalanta have dropped points at a place you should win. But then away in Europe, it's it's never easy, is it? Especially no, this no. time of year, with it's it's a later start as well than what normally is the Champions League. I think we normally probably start the Champions League in the second week of September. We're now coming into the the third week, nearly of October. So 
we're we're a month behind and places like Michelin up in Scandinavia, you don't want to be going there needing a result in, in the cold time the dark months of November, December, which I think we do. Um and obviously it's just a condensed season for everyone. So the pressures are on not only for fitness but for results and squeezing everything in it. There is going to be some freak results, and obviously we've had freak results ourselves with the Villa game, and yeah, arguably yesterday was 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 possibly a freak result given the decisions. But since we have got to the derby, we will give it a couple of minutes of our time, and I just want to get your reaction to first of all the performance, and then second of all, obviously the all the the stuff that went on around it. Um, would you agree with Klopp and say that was probably our best away performance in a long time? I think so, yeah. I think we did look good against Chelsea. I think Chelsea in the league, that was a a good performance. But if you like the red card, much as I think we were well on top in that game, the red card definitely, it's going to be a factor, isn't it? They're playing with 10 men. They are. They've got to come out and play differently. Everton had been the form team in the league, if you like. They played 4-1-4 at home. It's... It comes back to, again, the fans. I said this on my Red Review podcast, how big an impact is this having on on results, on performances. There's been some some freak results this year. Say City losing 5-2 at home to Leicester. United losing 6-1 at home to Spurs. Us losing 7-2 away to Villa. It has thrown in some very strange results. Still no nil-nils as of yet in this season. After the, the shambolic showing away at Villa and then with the international break and again the the Dan said, if you like to be in a, a world-class successful team, you have more of your players away. And it's not necessarily just the minutes. I know Fabinho didn't really play for Brazil, but it's still the, the miles in his legs, if you like, the journey time, how late they are back to Melwood. And I'd said on my part that the last thing you want really is to be the Saturday lunchtime kickoff after an international break. You'd rather have the Sunday tea time game, at least then you've got the extra day to to customise, to climatise. I know Klopp loves his training sessions. At least it was a local derby, so there was no real travel to go away. But straight from the off, we were at them. We were in their faces. The early goal massively helped, settled us down. The Pickford on Van Dyke was just an absolute shambles. The fact that it's still not been clearly explained what, what went on there, why it wasn't given. I've heard that oh, it was because it was offside. They didn't even look at it. But then somebody else, I think the Athletic came out and said they looked at it and decided it wasn't a foul. I mean, on any day of the week, that that's a foul. It's it's pretty I much a stonewall I don't think pen. An I don't think no, they'll get one. No, they don't, they don't tend to, do they? But it's, it's a very, time. very much closed shop. The, the, the referees and I think every pundit has even said that was that was a foul penalty, red card offence, however you want to like, deem the punishment. And the only person who I've seen on TV or radio or whatever in the last 24 hours who's defended that was Dermot Gallagher. Now, he is the head of the referees' union, the PGMOL, I think they are known as now. He's going to stick up for his lads, and it strikes me as they all stick up for each other. They're, they're very much a closed union shop, and if... If Michael Oliver is the best of the bunch and he had, he had a, arguably a poor game because he missed quite a lot and there was challenges there that could have certainly been punished. If he missed that and from the camera angle that we, we were showing from the other end of the pitch, he could see that clearly. If he's missed that, then 
is David Coote, who's not as senior as Michael Oliver, going to tell him, who's arguably known as the best referee in our league, that you've made a mistake? Well, that's, that's why it needs to be, in my opinion, an independent body that does it, because VAR gets all the blame for this. But the video clearly showed what had happened. Jordan Pickford saved through on Van Dijk, fouled him. The only argument I'll give, and I and I don't know the rules on this, I'll hold my hands, I thought now it'd been, uh, if it was a foul in the penalty box, it couldn't be a red card and a penalty, it wouldn't be the double punishment. I'm sure I've heard or read that somewhere, but that might have been last season, or I might have that completely wrong, but and again, you you come on later into the game with the Richarlison red card. That was the second foul. There had been a foul prior to that that the referee blew his whistle for. And then following that, Richarlison went through. So it's not even that they can say, well, it was offside, so it doesn't count. As you said before we started recording, if that's the case now, as soon as the referee's blown for a freak, you can go up to somebody and headbutt them. Oh, yeah. the, ref, the ref's already blown. It was offside, so it doesn't count. So... It's just nonsensical. Everybody can see it was a foul. Everybody can see it should have been a penalty. It's a double impact then that we lose our best centre-half, the league's best centre-half, and then Pickford goes on to have the best game he's probably had for two, three years. He made two or three world-class saves, and it shouldn't have happened. It's a completely different game. If he's I mean, sent off, they're down to 10 men. Mo Salah's got a penalty. We're 2-0 up after 10 minutes, and they're down to 10 men. It's a different game altogether. And to not have anybody come out and be accountable for that is a disgrace. It, it's got to come to the point, surely, where if a microphone can be shoved in the face of Klopp or any other manager or players within five, ten minutes of the heat of the moment of the game finishing, a referee has got to come out and, and speak. Or even if they, if they put some puppets, be it Dermot Gallagher or somebody else in, in front and say, this is the reason why this individual has made this decision but then as you say, it, it, it doesn't happen, make it right it? but at least at least there's someone maybe coming out and saying this is why we think it's happened or but this it's is not the this happen, is unfortunately. No. and um, the other thing to say on that what what happens now if i don't even know if they still do it now the ars in that this the old re- retrospective action that it comes out now and retrospectively they give pick for the free game ban what does that say I think from what I rightly remember is if it goes on the referees, if it's not on the referees' report, they can look at it. So if if Michael Oliver will file a report and say, I I didn't see the foul, or I didn't think that was a, a foul, I don't know yeah. how it's going to be worded. Then, but, then maybe action can be taken. I don't know. I'm well, not, there, that's how it used to be, wasn't it? If it wasn't in the referee's report, they could retrospect. But then if they do that and decided, then that just shows David Cooch should not be able to do that job again because he's incompetent and he can't do the job. If you perform like that at your job, you'd have disciplinary action against yourself. If they if they prove it, then he should have been sent off for that. Then the David Cooch, who is doing that job, isn't fit for purpose and he can't do that job again. Yeah, I, I said this on Nina's pod, the reaction pod yesterday, and it's these fellas are going on the pitch and I'm sure David Cusick, if he's not on the pitch today, refereeing, he'll be on the pitch next weekend and he'll probably make a howler and then he'll be on VAR the next day and he'll be trying to rectify that howler by another situation coming up very similar and he'll make a reverse decision to what he did and this is why, as you said and I've said, it's got to be an independent panel. These people 
they're only human, so I'm just going to give them the benefits of the doubt because they are human like the rest of us. We all make mistakes, but these fellas are going out on the line and they're making mistakes on the field and then they're also making mistakes off the field when the technology is there to, to improve the game. And it, it should be, we shouldn't be talking about VAR. And I don't see many people yesterday, friends, family, social media, people on our WhatsApp groups, AI and stuff like that, we weren't talking about the performance. We were talking about VAR and referees yet again because yeah. that's the main talking point. On on the whole, it was a pretty decent game and we played pretty damn well, as Klopp said. And it's just been lost because of what VAR and the referees have done and it shouldn't be this much of a talking point. So, yeah, that's that's probably mine and yours five or ten minutes worth of that. Um, I admit the only thing I will say just to bring it back to the Champions League it tends to be better in the Champions League it's whether it's oh yes, yes much how they that. do it or run better it, it does tend to be the old boys club if you like and yeah it's Michael Oliverson is the senior referee so nobody's gonna I don't even know who this David Coote is if he's up and coming or whatnot but he doesn't want to make a name for himself and it just seems to be oh, that will be less controversial if I do that but he got it wrong and to me, it should be, I say, an independent panel. You shouldn't know the name of the person that's doing the VAR. It should just be somebody independent that then there's none of this pressure or anything on because the technology is there. The technology is getting the blame, but it's not the technology. It's the incompetence of the people using it. And in, in the World Cup or in the Champions League, in the past, there doesn't seem to be anywhere near as much controversy with it. But and. Um... I'm slightly in a, in a different field of I wouldn't mind knowing who who was responsible for for these VAR if it would, if it did go to an independent panel I'd I'd like to know who these people were and the fact that why not have an ex referee why not have an ex player and maybe a, an analyst of some sort who is a specialist within the computers because we we've we've seen the situation with with the lines and the the not the not great and. If you've got an opinion of an ex-footballer who's respected within the game, I'm, I'm not going to throw any names out there because there's probably too many that you could argue for and against. And an ex-referee who's, who's been around the block and seen it all, then at least you've got three different points of view. And if they all work together every week over every game, you're going to come to a, a continuous decision. And I, yeah. I think, personally, that for me is the only way. But if you know who they are, then at least you can say if, it, if it's Joe Bloggs, the referee and Billy Smith, the, the ex-player, at least you know, right, well, the chances are they're going to be respected within the game, so you can sort of get them decisions. And if, if those guys oversee it every single week, then you, you know it's a consistent decision and it, it's not going to be a potential handball one week and a potential red card the next. And Yeah, we, we, we'll we'll move on from that. And as, as of yet, I don't know who the, the Champions League referee is for... For this week's fixtures, I think they'll be released tomorrow um, up on the UEFA website. So I don't know who we're going to get as our referee. Um, on the Let's second. hope it's not David Coote. <laughs> well, <laughs> as you said, it's going to be one of someone from the foreign uh, league. So um, yeah, up on the UEFA website as as it stands, I can't see any information on who who we are being officiated by. There is some good in Europe. There is some bad in Europe, but. That, that's by the by. Um, so, in Europe this week, it is the return of the Champions League. We've got 
some really tasty fixtures. We'll we'll skim over a few and I'll pick out a few for you to get your opinion on. So we'll start with Tuesday night and I suppose the glamour fixture being within the English Premier League that we are is Manchester United away at PSG. They've got previous, especially with the handball VAR that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was the PSG centre-half jumped up, turned his back, Kimpembe, and ball with him on the hand. United were given a penalty, United progressed. So, how do you see this one panning out, given, obviously, Man United's fragility this season? Uh, they bounced back a bit last night, didn't they? Unfortunately, and and got oh, that win away just, at, oh, only just. away at Newcastle. Yeah, but they still. I think Maguire is still an accident waiting to happen. He's he's still a car crash, in my opinion. And I think they lost in the first game PSG. They lost in the French league, but since then they look back to their on on onimus best really. And Mbappe's been firing them in for fun. Neymar was firing them in for Brazil over the. International break and overtook Ronaldo as the Brazilian scorer. They've got class in abundance, haven't they? It's it's a cakewalk for them every year in the French league. Nobody really gets close to them. They runners up last year and only lost to a very very good Bayern Munich team that I think were odds on to win the Champions League anyway. And nobody really would have stopped them. They have class in abundance all over the pitch. Really, I think he's he still makes a few strange decisions. Mr. Tuchel, I don't think he's good enough to win them the Champions League, much as he did get to the final last year. It's, but they do have class in abundance all over the pitch. And so if they can get Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi fit and playing, that's that's a phenomenal free. That's arguably as good, if not better, than our front free on, on paper. The three of them are, are world-class players. They have Di Maria as well and... Marquinhos, I think he's one of the best centre-backs in the world. Kimpembe is a decent player. That I think United could be in for a, a very, very tough night there. PSG, to, yeah. I think PSG will win that quite comfortably. Fully agree with you. And, you know, the French league, look after the French big clubs. PSG played on Friday, won 4-0, so they've got ample time to prepare for this fixture. They did. The only thing I would counter that one was after an international break, that's pretty hard to be playing on the Friday night. But yeah, it is. But it goes from, both ways, doesn't it? It goes both ways. But they, yeah. they did. They beat Niemes four uh, nil. Mbappe got one. Uh, sorry, Mbappe got two. Sarabia, Florenzi. Um, Mbappe only played the best part of. Oh no, he did play eighty four minutes. Sorry, um, but Ander Herrera come on for Paredes. They had players missing. Obviously, Neymar, Icardi didn't play, um, but. The, the bulk of the team did play and a few of them didn't travel for international football. So, you know, th- these foreign leagues, I think Klopp's argued for this, they, they do look after the teams in European football and give them the best chance of, of progressing by shuffling a few league fixtures around. But we are a condensed calendar. Um, one more game from Tuesday I'm going to give to you. Lazio versus Dortmund. How do you see that one going? That could be a cracker, couldn't it, really? Let's be honest. Dortmund, again, they're in a bit hit and miss, really, haven't they? They seem to have this inferiority complex whenever they come up against Bayern Munich. Was it in the Super in the, Cup? In I the think, Super Cup, yeah. yeah. Like, which is our version of uh, Charity Shield. They certainly played well, and they always seem to come up short against Bayern Munich. They've got, in Haaland, one of the 
best strikers in the world on current form again a hat-trick on his international break he is a phenomenal talent and if rumours are right and there is a a smallish buyout clause I think this will be his last season at Dortmund I think he will be snapped up in no time whatsoever he is a phenomenal player again similar to what we were saying with Ajax earlier they do tend to be picked apart a little bit maybe not so much now as they did when Klopp was there and Bayern Munich don't tend to buy all their best players now but again they've got it's front three again, isn't it? If they've got everybody fit and firing Sancho, they've got Julian Brandt, they've got Haaland, they've got a really good front it's three. Frightening, the, the, the depth of squad that they've got, that, that's frightening. And the young amount of talent, like they've got uh, Claudio Reina's lad there, they've got Jude Bellingham that they picked up from Birmingham. And you imagine if the likes of Sancho and Haaland do go, they're just, as you said, with Ajax, the next lads off the of the conveyor belts. They are, and they've still got good old Marco Royce there, who I can't remember we've actually been linked with him, or <laughs> it was one of them. It's John Henry's tweeting about Marco Royce. They have got plenty of, plenty of good players, and last year we've got old boy Lucas there, so whether he can give him a, a couple of free kicks in dangerous places to, to see Dortmund over the line, it's... It's hard, isn't it? Because in both leagues, really, they're playing for second place, really, aren't they? Juventus are odds on to win Serie A and Bayern Munich are odds on to win the Bundesliga every year. But Lazio, they're a decent team. They've got they've got some very good players. Although they got battered 3-0 at Sampdoria yesterday, but their form, again, it's been, tends to have been goals in plenty of games that they've played. I'd probably say Dortmund, I think, would win that. Yeah, it, it's going to be, I think, arguably probably the, the most exciting one to watch. I think PSG will demolish United, but I think that one could be an end-to-end account. So, if you're not going to tune in and watch Liverpool versus Ajax on Wednesday, I don't know why you wouldn't, but maybe you can set your recorder for Bayern Munich versus Atletico Madrid. Is this Luis Suarez short? led Atletico Madrid. Is this a one-way affair with Bayern Munich, or is there going to be more to it? <laughs> See, again, last year before the draw, it was Atletico Madrid that I wanted to avoid. And if Liverpool had to play one of these now in a semi-final or a one-off final, I'd rather play Bayern Munich than Atletico Madrid. I think Simeone is a fantastic manager. They are mainly solid at the back. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. They are the leading team in shithousery across the world. <laughs> they certainly are. Especially now they've added Suarez to it. They're led by the manager Simeone with Suarez there and Costa. Uh, they are just a nasty team to play against. They are solid. And even you look at them on paper, they're not as strong as they were. I mean, they've got Kieran Trippier at right back, who I'm not a big fan of. And even Jimenez doesn't seem to play every game at centre-back now. But they are so hard to break down. They are so well drilled. And much as he's a- ageing ever so slightly now, Suarez is still a big threat in front of goal and they've got Costa and they've got Joe Felix. So I probably think Bayern will win, but I don't think it'll be all, all one-way traffic. I think Atletico are a team that can give them a game because because of the shithousery that they do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if anyone survives that game with 11 men on the pitch at both ends. Um, so we'll round up there. You know, we're, we're just under an hour now. Um, this is our first delve into the, the Champions League. So 
it's pretty hard to get a, a grasp of how we're going to get by this season. But we've said before, the games are coming thick and fast. So we'll finish up with your score predictions for Wednesday night. How do you think we're going to get on? I'll go 2-1 to Liverpool. I think we will just edge it. But again, just with the uncertainty at the back and the makeshift, makeshift but the defence without Alisson and without Virgil, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet. But I think we'll have enough and get a 2-1 win. I'm, I'm going to say 3-2. I, I think it will it'll be goals. And I, I, as you say, without Virgil there, the, there's a massive gaping hole. And Ajax being the Dutch team that they are, they know Virgil better than anyone. They're, they're going to know how imperious he is, how strong he is. And I think, as you said earlier on the pod, they are going to target arguably that right channel that many other teams have targeted this season. But we should have enough on paper um, in our front three. So that leaves us to the end of the pod. Um, we'll be back very quickly because this Champions League is basically every other week now or every in some cases. Um, we'll wrap it up there. Hopefully, I'll be joined again by Mark soon. If you've got anything you want to plug, let the listener know about any pods upcoming. So, I'm the host of the Reds Review on this, this season as well. I've taken over from Andy for that one. So, I did my first one with Danny Gavid on at the end of September, early October. So, that one's still out there if you want to listen. And again, come the end of October, first week in November, I'll be recording the next one of that. So, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Yeah, with games coming thick and fast, pods coming thick and fast. This is one that we've managed to get by without including Mr Drinkle, but I'm sure he has listened on in the background if he's not too busy on his Xbox. So that leaves us to just say thank you for listening. Hope we have a great weekend. We have a good result out in IX and we'll catch you soon. Thank you and goodbye. Miller, lovely cushion header. But Podcast Network.